The History with Jackson podcast. Hello and welcome back to the History with Jackson podcast. We have another amazing episode for today. But before we jump into that episode, I'd like to ask you to consider supporting me here at History of Jackson by either subscribing to History of Jackson Plus on Apple Podcasts or heading to my Buy Me a Coffee profile, which is in the description below, to support me to continue to do what I do here at History with Jackson. So our guest on today's podcast is Ian Sanders, who is the host and producer of the amazing Cold War Conversations podcast. Now, Ian and I had a really great conversation about the Cold War and historical content creation. And I know you're really going to enjoy this episode. Uh, Ian's a great guest and a great podcast host. Uh, He's really engaging and we talk about so many interesting things I'm sure you're going to love learning about. So without further ado, I will leave you with Ian Sanders. So hello and welcome back to the History with Jackson podcast. Today, we are joined by historian and host of Cold War Conversations, Ian Sanders. How are you doing, Ian? I'm good. I'm good, Jackson. And thank you very much for having me on uh, History with Jackson. Been a, no. a, a listener for a while now. Oh, thank you. Very much. I really enjoy your podcast. And when you when we spoke about getting you on, I was I was really excited. So I'm really I'm really excited and, and looking forward to this conversation about history, about the Cold War, and about podcasting as well. So. You host an amazing podcast, which is called Cold War Conversations. But firstly, I, w- I want to go into a question that I ask all our guests. What got you interested in, in history? It's really through family background. My family was always interested in history. Uh, my father was a veteran of World War Two. He was a Normandy veteran. Um, and my mother was always interested in history. So whenever we were on holiday, we were clambering around castles, museums, tanks, you you name it, and grew up with um, that background. And, you know, it was a time when there wasn't internet either. So it obviously involved a lot of reading um, as well. Um, at school, I was always disappointed by history because it never did the stuff I wanted to do. I wanted the the military, the, you know, the political stuff going on. And it was generally social and economic. Now, I now enjoy social and economic history as well as military and, and political history. But at the time, that, that wasn't an area that 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 interested me. But um, yeah, it's really just through family and their love of history was passed on to me. I've massively failed with my own kids because both of them aren't interested in history, didn't even do it at GCSE or, or A-level or anything like that. So I've I've completely um, um, failed there. But they do uh, think that dad's rather cool because he has his own podcast. I th- I'd like that. I think a lot of us get interested in history through family members and, and reading and so on. And, you know, I know this podcast is going out audio only. If if people see a picture of Ian right now, he is absolutely like his background is just covered in books, more books than I've ever shown in my own social media posts. So I'm I'm incredibly jealous of the bookcase that's behind you. Yeah, it's just a wallpaper I've got up. You know, there's a, they're not really there, Jackson. <laughs> no, I've I've collected books. I'm one of these people who can't throw out a book or even destroy a book i have to give it to a book you know a charity shop or or something like that um always um valued 
the the written word but i you know written history is great up to a point and one of the reasons i started cold war conversations is i think there's nothing like hearing history from somebody who was actually there to hear their voice and their you know their intonation their pauses even their breaths that you get in an oral history interview i think is so much more impactful than reading that particular line um from a book and that that's one of the things that drew me into um you know starting cold war conversations i i definitely agree i think oral histories are so important with helping us understand and pass pass the stories of the past down in a more more meaningful more personal way and i think with that that little start there and that little snippet of your inspiration behind starting cold war conversations i want to i want to dive into that a little bit more then you know aside from you know wanting to look at those oral histories what inspired you to start cold war conversations as a podcast well as as i've sort of said you know i've always been interested in history but i've also wanted to be creative i mean when the internet first started i was setting up history websites probably the one that i built the most was one which was uh photos of world war ii invasion defenses in the uk because you know some of these were being lost people weren't aware of them and i built up quite a significant library um through that website but um i did a short stint on a community radio station doing a sports show and really loved doing audio really loved doing it live um as well there was a real buzz to that and uh it was while i was there i came across a podcast called spybury which was about spy novels and and spy books and got in contact with the host and in the course of our communications discovered that he was equally as fascinated as i was by east germany and he said oh you should start an east german history podcast now I thought about this and then I, you know, the Cold War was occurring during my formative years. So, you know, I was born in the 60s um, and I was aware that the Cold War was almost like a Cinderella subject as far as history was concerned. There wasn't a lot. You couldn't find a lot of information on it. And I was conscious that some of the stories that were out there um were being lost or not even being discovered um for that matter and as i said earlier my father was a world war ii veteran i'd recorded his story uh some years before i started cold war conversations and what i thought was an oral history of the cold war would be a great project you know it might gain a few hundred listeners and a couple of nice emails from people and now five years later, it's 3.3 million downloads in total and about 100,000 listens a month. And I get to speak to people who I have normally no right to uh, speak to. And uh, it's been an incredible journey and an absolute honor to share these people's stories. I know when we were we were talking before we started this podcast about, you know, different you know different history podcasts trade tricks and so on uh and that and that was something that we were talking about talking to people who we felt we had no right to i think it's it's such a great part of the jobs that we do but it's it's such a fun thing to do and i you know i've 
hearing the story about why you started Cold War Conversations is is really fascinating how you got into it through other people and uh, a stint on community radio uh, talking about sport. I, I, you know, I, I think there's a load of people who would kill for that job. Um, and, and to go to where you are now, I think it's it's truly inspiring. Um, but I also want to talk about the topic. You know, we're, we're looking at the Cold War. It's it's such a it's a massive event in history that's kind of dominated uh, quite a few decades. But what was the Cold War? When we get to the easy questions, Jackson. Um, so the, I'll, I'll try and sum, summarize it the way I normally summarize it. So basically, the the Cold War was a period of uh, geopolitical tension, let's say, between the United States and the Soviet Union and their respective allies. So you've got two blocks here, really, the Western Bloc and the Eastern Bloc, as they're normally called. The period that we're talking about is generally from the second half of the 1940s through to the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991. And the term Cold War is a misnomer, in my view. Because the term Cold War is generally used because there was no hot war, i.e. large-scale fighting directly between the two superpowers. But during the Cold War, there were a number of what were known as proxy wars, where each side would have been supporting um, one of those sides in, in those proxy wars. So it's by no means a bloodless um, period, which I think is generally the uh, the perception that people who haven't studied the subject might be, um, you know, thinking of. But it was essentially an ideological, geopolitical struggle for global influence uh, between these two superpowers, despite them being allies um, at the end of World War Two, and that end of World War II period is an interesting one because you have the division of places like Germany and a fascinating position of Berlin, where uh, Berlin during the Cold War was still an occupied city. It was still occupied by the victorious allied powers of World War II. So despite the Soviet Union and the US being ideological enemies, they still had to work together in Berlin to sort of govern and, and, and manage um, that city. So, And that's one of the areas that I just find fascinating about the Cold War is these little stories within stories that are, the, that are there. Um, and Berlin is just an endless source of... Of, of these stories the politics of of this period is is really fascinating but then when it comes down to berlin it like you said it gives a whole new layer of complexity to the the conflict and, and those little stories that come out of berlin um are always so fascinating and interesting and they they keep you interested and in reading wikipedia pages until like two three in the morning sometimes uh, but you know i, I want to i want to dive down from the politics and the military uh, and then kind of go into the people, really. You know, a lot of people think about the Cold War as, as you said, this political military event. How does it affect everyday people then? Because I think that's something that's perhaps lost within discourse surrounding the Cold War. I think you're right. And that that's one of the areas that I'm always keen to cover because it's not about 
the Cold War isn't just about blokes with tanks and aircraft. It's it's a much broader story which covers cultural history, social history, as as well as as well as military history. And one of the things I'm probably most proud of about the podcast is about 25% of the episodes are women's stories of the Cold War, which is when I look at the history books, is quite rare to find um you know the the women's viewpoint of the war. So as far as everyday people during the Cold War, it really depended on where you lived. If you lived in Korea in the early 1950s, there was between 1 million and 1.3 million civilian casualties during the Korean War. And the Korean War is a good example of the Cold War going hot. That was a direct confrontation between uh, the United Nations and North Korea, who were allied by the Chinese and the Soviet Union. And the United Nations came together in a military force, which included the US, the British countries such as Greece, Ethiopia, a real mixture of of nations there. And um, during that uh, conflict, we were directly fighting the Chinese. And uh, the US actually engaged in direct air combat with Soviet Union as well. I mean, that's less known, um, that story. And it's a story that I'm looking to cover in the um, uh, in a couple of months' time with an interview with a fighter pilot who was involved um, in that period. But I've moved away from the uh, original question, which was, how did it affect everyday people? So talked about Korea. Other proxy wars would be something like the Angolan Civil War, where the Cubans uh, were involved in in that, about 800,000 deaths there. And that war actually continued up to the early 2000s. But in Europe, there was a fragile peace, I would say there, um, but with the dark shadow of a potential nuclear war, either accidental or deliberate. And life on each side of the the Iron Curtain or the life in the Eastern Bloc or the Western Bloc was different but similar in so many ways. I mean, people still worked, they still partied, they married, had children, etc. On on both sides. But, you know, you look at how different the, the life was there in the communist bloc or the eastern bloc, as long as you kept your head down, didn't rock the boat, you were provided with a job, housing, the basics of life. But if you protested against the regime, prison at best was the most likely um, route. Now, in the West, and these are broad generalizations here that I'm painting here, this did vary significantly from country to country here. But in the West, less social security, but still social security there to some degree. More freedom, for example, freedom of speech, freedom to start your own business and freedom of travel. Now, as I said, these experiences differed massively as underlined by the Korea and Angolan um, examples. And even in Europe, they varied. So in Poland, the Catholic Church was still able to operate and indeed was a very significant part of um, Polish uh, political and social and cultural life um, there. Um, In uh, places like Hungary, um, in the latter part of the 1980s, 
um, Hungarians could cross into Austria. And, um, you know, there was much more a better standard of living in Hungary than in many of the um, the other East Eastern Bloc countries. So there's a lot of variation there. But I think what's important to underline is that, you know, some people were happy in those countries, either side of, you know, the, the, the Iron Curtain, because it, it, it just they were just happy with their existence. I think that last point is is a really important point. Actually, I think it's something that a lot of a lot of historians and and people forget about the Cold War is that people were happy in in their lives. They did get married, have children, go to work, and so on. Like you said, and I think that's a that's an important point for people to not forget and not get drawn into for, like forgetting when you're talking about mass executions or imprisonment in in some of the communist and some of the western regimes as well but i I liked how you're you're also looking at the different experiences you know this wasn't just a european conflict it was a a conflict that was occurring in asia and africa and and different parts of the globe which i think you know you you might disagree but a lot of historians that i've seen focus very much on the european conflict within the cold war yeah, and and that's a criticism that I've had from people that I focused very much on European, but I have expanded out, and I'm always keen to expand out into the 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 whole global experience of the Cold War. Um, one of the challenges I have is the interviews are conducted in in English, um, and so you know finding people who who can speak English can. Um, can be um, a challenge there, but I'm always keen to capture as much as I p- can the whole range of experiences um, during during the Cold War. And you know, a question that I sometimes get when I contact people to say, "Look, can I interview you and um, ask you questions about your life?" So, well, why would people be interested in 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 this? You know, th- this is just everyday life. And I say, "Well." Everybody has a story. Everybody has something to say, and their the story of their life is is incredible. Whoever you 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 speak to, I mean, as you said, when we were speaking before, you know, we started recording, you know, just understanding your background and where you'd come from, and your you know your your journey to um, podcasting was, was interesting to me. It might not be interesting to everyone, but through podcasting you can provide those stories and those experiences out out to to a wider audience and the evidence that i have is people find them equally as fascinating as you and i do i i think that's a that's a good point there is that there is a story in everything and someone's always going to be interested in different parts of history you know just because someone didn't do history in school didn't do it for gcse or a level doesn't mean that they'll never be interested in history ever you know they're they're not going to pick up a book in 20 30 years time and not want to get to know something from the past i think that's a good thing that podcast does is it it makes these these stories a little bit more accessible because you know not everyone is going to have that chance that you have to be able to speak to someone in another country about their life yeah and i think with with the cold war there is a number of sort of Cold War references in uh, TV and films that come out. And so whilst 
I will look at some of these and think, mm, not sure they've exactly got that right. If it's firing up somebody's interest in learning more about the period, then it's fine with me. I mean, I watched on uh, BBC iPlayer the other night, Bridge of Spies, which is not as accurate as it could be, but gets across the period and what happened in a in a really um, effective and, and engaging way. Um, another series that I enjoyed was The Americans, which was about a husband and wife, uh, deep cover KGB agents living in the US, uh, pretending they were travel agents, I think it was, um, and um, found that fascinating. And then actually interviewed somebody who was a KGB deep cover agent in the US. Um, and he'd actually been an advisor to the series as well. And that was fascinating just hearing the, you know, the real life story and how he had to handle multiple personalities um, because he had he married somebody while he was in the US, but he still had a wife back in East Germany. So he he had to marry manage these multiple personalities while he was at work. He was a computer programmer. Um, while he was at home with his American wife and then while he went off on business trips in inverted commas to go back to the Soviet Union in East Germany to meet his to be with his real family um, you know fa fascinating stuff because you know people think of James Bond it's all the gadgets and the guns and stuff like that but the the, the games you have to play with your mind if you're in that situation to manage that is you know is is phenomenal yeah i can i can imagine that must have been quite difficult for him uh to to kind of manage those two two separate incredibly separate lives and hide them um from or possibly each other or one another it, it must have been yeah, incredibly difficult for him and mentally taxing as well but i wanted to ask you, you know you have the cold war in popular culture today but why do you think the Cold War is so significant and important to us now? I think there's there's echoes of it that still affect us to the present day. I mean, if you go back to the Korean War, the armistice line that was agreed at the end of the Korean War is still there. And it's one of the most fraught and dangerous borders in the world. There was no peace conference at the end of the Korean War. There was an agreement to stop fighting. But effectively, North and South Korea are still in a state of war with each other. They just don't often fire at each other. Um, and I recently did an interview with a US guy who was serving out there in the 1980s. And I had no idea how many incidents were going on. Almost weekly, there'd be cross-border firefights and, and, and stuff like that going on, which, which I had no, you know, no real awareness of. I think the other thing is, is there's people around who are governing, well, both in the US and in Russia, who grew up during the Cold War. So that was their formative years. I mean, Joe Biden went to the Soviet Union as a as a politician during the Cold War. I think he was involved in some, I can't remember exactly what talks he was involved in. But I think Putin's a more interesting example because he was brought up in the Soviet Union and was a KGB officer in Dresden when East Germany imploded. So he's seen with his own eyes how a regime can be overthrown 
by its population. And I'm sure what he saw there is, you know, influencing his his behavior today. I think that the other thing that you can look at is Ukraine today. You can trace its origins directly back to the end of the Cold War. Um, certainly in terms of some of the excuses that Russia had for invading Ukraine. Not that I think that those excuses necessarily hold water. Yeah, I, th- I think I, I totally agree with with your answer. Um, you know, a lot of the the echoes of the Cold War, learning about them and learning about the Cold War does help us understand the world today and it shows the relevancy of the the cold war to the actions of today you know uh, you know just looking at ukraine like you like you just said is it's the rhetoric and the discourse surrounding it is is littered not only with cold war references but you know medieval imperial uh, references as well and it's it's not just cold war the cold war that can help us it's i think it's history in general throughout the years can help us understand uh, the events of today yeah no absolutely i mean particularly in the uh, in the example of russia is that sort of imperial history that they had i mean this this whole feeling of them being surrounded by enemies is nothing new it was there way back in imperial times and it's almost like something that gets brought out every time they want to be imperialist and invade other countries yeah it's it's certainly made for a convenient catchphrase for for russian leaders uh, across history if someone wants to go away and obviously they they they're going to listen to cold war conversations but if someone wants to go away and, and learn about the cold war and learn more about it what what would you recommend that they go and look at uh, and read and listen to to help their understanding and build and build a, a foundation in cold war knowledge okay so yeah, as you said, obviously you can listen to the podcast. Um, but aside from that, there's a couple of um, channels on YouTube that I'd recommend. One is a channel called The Cold War. Their handle is at Cold War TV. And they've produced a brilliant library of episodes that cover the cultural, political and military history of the Cold War. And they're by no means finished because it's a it's a it's a lengthy subject. But the way that they do that I think is good and they're not afraid to do subjects that people might not find as interesting as as tanks and an aircraft. The other series that I would recommend, and I don't think you can get it on on DVD, but it is available on YouTube, is CNN's series, The Cold War, which is a 24-part documentary that they, I think, put together in the 1990s or early 2000s. So what's really good about that is they've got interviews with some of the major political players there looking back at at the Cold War. Um, And I highly um, recommend that. Um, As far as books are concerned if somebody wants and i'm just going to have a look if somebody's looking for a general history of the cold war a sort of like a primer um the book that i quite like and this was based on a um channel four series called the cold war that was done 
probably in the 2000s or something like that. But um, it's by Jeremy Isaacs and Taylor Downing. Uh, Jeremy Isaacs is a famous TV producer. I think he did World at War or was involved in World at War. Um, and Taylor Downing is an author who's covered the Abel Archer incident in uh, in 1983. But I think this gives a really good overview, loads of pictures as well and maps and, and stuff like that. So it's by no means a turgid, dry tome. And uh, if if a subject comes up, I you know, that that's one of the books that 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 I would go to. Obviously, you know, if you start getting into the Cold War, you'll 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 want to drill in um, further in, into uh, some of the details. And as um, Jackson has said, um, I have a rather vast library behind me um, of of various um, various subjects. But I'm, you know, I'm constantly surprised at how little I know about the Cold War. Um, so always learning. Every day's a school day. I think they're, I think they're good. They're really good suggestions there. And uh, you know, building a knowledge in the Cold War, you know, there's always something that you can go off and and get more interested in and and nail down as like the the thing that you want to know more about. And and like you said, the more you read, the more you realise you don't know, uh, which is an incredibly infuriating feeling. Yeah, but it's, I don't know, it's like you said, those Wikipedia rabbit holes you can go down yeah. late at night and, and, and get lost in there. Not that Wikipedia is always the best place to uh, go for factual information, but um, it, it's a multi-layered subject. But it, there's just so many, you know, you think you know something and then you think, oh, I never knew that. Like, you know, recently discovering that the US pilots were in direct air combat with Soviet pilots during the Korean War. I'd, I hadn't known about that. I'd, I'd thought, you know, we there'd never been that that direct contact there. So um, yeah, there's there's always a subject that you don't know about. No, I, I, I like that, and I want I want to touch on stories. Then, uh, you know, as a final fun question, as we do for all guests here on History of Jackson, I like to I like to ask something that you might enjoy answering and might have a a, a very nice little tidbit to to offer because you've you've covered so many stories on on your podcast uh so many different fascinating stories that i'd never heard of which has been and i know this is asking this is like asking a mother to choose a favorite child which has been your favorite story so far okay so just to outline the difficulty i've got in choosing this there's over 300 episodes there's probably about 12 and a half solid days of audio there um but it's sort of, as, as I think I may have said at the start, the unknown stories are the ones that I find most satisfying. You know, despite the fact that I've ended up speaking to one of the Apollo 13 astronauts and the son of Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev and various spies. But I'm going to choose two, if you'll allow me that um, luxury there of course so the first one i'm going to choose is an interview i did with general sir robert corbett who was the last commander of the british forces in berlin so he's there when the wall comes down in 1989 and that story that he told was you know he was under immense pressure the night the wall opened because they didn't know what was going on there they weren't sure whether there was going to be civil war in East Germany um, and it would spill over into West Berlin 
Um, so they were really uncertain. Now, um, if you're familiar with Berlin, you're probably familiar with the Russian War Memorial by the Brandenburg Gate. There's two T-34 tanks mounted on it there. Now, during the Cold War, even though that was in the British sector, it was guarded by Soviet troops. Um, so when the wall opens, these Soviet troops get really jumpy because they can hear fireworks going off, all sorts of stuff going off, stuff that sounds like gunshots. So they're getting really jumpy. So one of uh, General Corbett's commanders says um, that you know that there's a danger they're going to shoot somebody, they're going to fire on somebody. Um, so Corbett goes down there and he goes into their sort of guard room and sits in front of them. Now, this is quite a small room and they're young conscript Soviet soldiers. And he looks around the room and he looks them in the eye and he says to them, I'm going to make sure you're going to be OK. Nothing is going to happen. I am going to make sure that you are safe. So and he leaves, obviously, British gut. Uh, troops around just to make sure nobody interferes with them. So he's then called to another emergency somewhere else in Berlin. And over the radio, he gets a message from one of his uh, commanders saying, really weird, we've had a message from the Russians through a channel that they've not used since the Berlin airlift. And the message is to you, um, General Corbett, and the message is, we will never forget what we've what you've done for us tonight we will never forget what you have done for us tonight and it was basically the soviet commander in east berlin thanking corbett for looking after these young soviet conscripts and for many years after every year he would get a gift from the soviet army of as you'd expect vodka or and and you know, maybe a book or or something like that. But that story, I'd never heard that story before. And as I said before, to hear that from, you know, the person who was there making those decisions was spellbinding for me. The episode with General Corbett is episode 137, episode 137. The second example I wanted to talk about was um, an interview I did with a Romanian woman called Carmen Bugan. Now, she was the daughter of a Romanian dissident. And the interview starts with her explaining a very strange school day. So she's 12 years old. She returns home to find her home being pulled apart by Romanian secret police, the Securitate. She doesn't know what's going on. Her mother's not there. Her father's not there. She's just come home um, alone. And what it turns out is her father's gone and done a one-man protest in Bucharest, giving out homemade leaflets protesting against the Ceausescu regime. And uh, he's been arrested. And they've obviously come back to just take apart the house and find out what, what's been going on. And when you speak to Carmen and hear the story, it's just incredibly um, difficult because from then on, 
um, the house is under very close surveillance. They're confined to a couple of rooms. They don't have access to their whole house anymore. And the whole house is bugged. Um, and uh, they don't know who to trust because they think some of the, you know, the villagers are helping the, the Securitate. Um, and it's just a really powerful story um, and very eloquently told by Carmen as to what it would be like to be under that level of surveillance. And as I said earlier, if you ended up rocking the boat against the regime, this is the sort of treatment that you might have to have to face. Um, probably the the some of the most powerful scenes in this is when she first sees her father in prison. They think he's dead prior to this point, and then then they're told that he's actually in prison. And she describes the uh, the first time she um, sees him. They do eventually get um, visas to leave Romania and go to the US. Um, I won't explain how that how that happens, but one of the bits that I found probably the most moving was they had to say goodbye to their family, thinking that they were never going to see that fam, you know, see them again. And um, her grandfather's got dementia, so he doesn't really understand what's going on. And you know, they're trying to I I explain to him, and um, that got me. That got me, and that—that's one of the things I find so surprising, and something I wasn't expecting when I started doing these interviews is how powerful these stories can be. And um, yeah, that—that's one I will—I will never forget. Never forget. Disappointingly, it doesn't get as many listens as I think it deserves. Probably because it doesn't include tanks and spies, but. It's well worth a listen. Carmen's episode is episode 147. There is a follow-up episode uh, with her where she gets hold of her files, her secret police files, and that is really eerie because they've she's got direct transcripts of the conversations that she had with her family, and she'd completely forgotten about those conversations, and it's really intimate. Not really intimate, but it's details of conversations she had with her brother and with her father, and um, it's uh, it, it's 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 incredible. It's incredible, and you know that I I just think that just underlines the power of an oral history. With oral histories, people may get dates wrong, they may get names wrong, but you get the essence of the experience and what it felt like what it was really like um, to be there. And for me, that, that's why it's just so powerful and, and gives you much more dimension, uh, much more of a three-dimensional view of what that person's experience was at that time. I think they're, they're two really nice examples that show both sides, the, the positives, uh, you know, the nice stories that come out of the Cold War uh, such as the, with the general and the Soviet troops, but also the the negative experience in everyday everyday people's lives of, of living under some of these repressive regimes. Uh, I think that gives a nice that gives a nice balance of what the Cold War was like, really. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, I can't really add anything more to um, yeah. to that. I mean, it, it's 
just thinking about those episodes, particularly that second one, is is just yeah, I'm lost for words. Rarely am I lost for words, but I am lost for words. Yeah. Now, obviously, you've just given us two two amazing examples of podcast episodes. Where can our listeners find your podcast and and you online so they can go away and interact with you and listen to those episodes and all your other amazing episodes as well? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, thank you. Um, I I welcome interactions. Um, in fact, I I find people are quite surprised when I reply to them on Twitter. Um, but um, the best place to find us is coldwarconversations.com. So that's the website, and that provides links to uh, how to listen to the podcast in your podcast app, um, although you can just search Cold War Conversations. Um, on Twitter, we're at Cold War Pod. On Facebook, just search Cold War Conversations. And on Instagram, we're at Cold War Conversations. Um, and uh, I'm across all of those, some more frequently than others. Um, but one one area I would recommend, if you are on Facebook, do join our Facebook discussion group because a lot of the guests that I have on the show are on there. So answering direct questions around their experiences or providing you know assistance with other questions that that, that people have. We've got a really great group of uh, people who are fascinated by the Cold War. So if that's your bag, do come and join us there. And I do thoroughly recommend for for everyone to go away and listen to Ian's podcast because it is it is truly amazing. You know, and I've learned so much from the podcast already. I'm looking forward to to future episodes, especially about that one with the air pilots that you've you've just given us a little tease for. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that's still in in work there. I'm hoping to be able to uh, speak to uh, one of them there. But uh, yeah, no, loads, plenty more stories to come with Cold War conversations. So um, do do follow us. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Ian. I really appreciate it. Well, Jackson, it's been a it's been a pleasure, and um, always keen to you know support fellow historians, but particularly fellow podcast historians as as well. So uh, hopefully uh, this will be of of interest uh, to your listeners, and um, we'll we'll find some more cold war fans i'm sure i'm sure we will um and i i push i'll push everyone to go and listen to your podcast because it is it is truly amazing so thank you very much for coming on and what? for all our listeners are we up sorry no it's just going to say thank thanks for having me no it's all right no i've really enjoyed it and i've enjoyed talking about an area of history i personally enjoy as well with you so thank you very much for listening to this episode of history of jackson I really hope you enjoyed listening to me and Ian have a conversation about the Cold War uh, and our approaches to historical content creation. Ian has an amazing podcast and I know you're going to enjoy it if you go and listen to it. I thoroughly recommend that you do. Now, if you did enjoy this episode and any other episodes that you have listened to, please do consider to heading to my Buy Me A Coffee profile in the description below or subscribing to History of Jackson Plus on Apple Podcasts to support me to continue to do what I do here at History of Jackson. But I look forward to welcoming you all back next episode where we have another fascinating interview lined up.